that however you're hearing this, it's significant. There's a reason. This is a divine appointment. Oh, Father, we lift up the word tonight. And Lord, I pray a fresh anointing rest over me and over this place. Lord, we bind away any hindrance, anything not of your kingdom. But Lord, we ask you by your Holy Spirit that even now you would fill every life in such an awesome way. And by your Spirit, just lock everybody in to what you're saying tonight to give you our best and our full attention to be good fertile soil. And that we're so, by the Spirit of God, so locked in and focused on the Word of God that it, this place is a heavenly place. Those that are watching the atmosphere of heaven is filling your life. That there's a glory, a tangible glory. And even as the Word goes out, I pray a fresh anointing on every life. And that by your Spirit, Father, everybody would have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And the Word of God will go out of my mouth as I speak it as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, that you would burn it in to our hearts, our minds, our lives. Let it literally like impregnate our spirit, man, with the word. That it's rhema, it's life. And it produces in us, Lord, an eternal change. Because it's not the words of man, but the words of God. And Lord, I pray that as the word goes forth. That we would be so captivated that our eyes would be anointed even right now to be able to see things that we've never been able to see before. Lord, that you would anoint our ears to hear things we've never been able to hear before. For you said many times in the word, those have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes and ears tonight. And Lord, even as I'm speaking, I pray the spirit of counsel, the Holy Spirit will come as the spirit of wisdom and revelation and counsel. And with the Apostle Paul prayed that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts with truth tonight. And let everything be accomplished through this time in the word that your will be done. Because the Bible says your word never returns void. But it will go forth and accomplish that which you've sent it forth to accomplish. And Lord, even things that I don't even say, that somehow by the Spirit of God... Everything you're wanting to communicate in every life would be accomplished. Let your fire be released. We thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Alright, I'm talking about churches that are birthed in the fires of revival. You know, there's a certain group of people <laughs> that... One way or another, either they were born again in revival... Their lives were changed in revival. Or a church that has been kind of formed because of revival. There's a certain group of people that have a revival fire DNA. It's not something that can be taught. You know, there's a lot of things that can be taught, but there's also a lot of things that cannot be taught. They just simply have to be imparted, and there's a difference. This is not something that can be taught. You can talk all day about revival and all that. That's, that's not going to do it. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in us. It's an impartation of fire. And it gets down in you. I've heard the expression, it gets down in your bones. But it gets down into your DNA. It gets down into who you are as a believer. And tonight I'm going to take my time. This is a subject I'm really comfortable with. If it's okay with you guys, I believe the Holy Spirit has allowed it to, to come in a way tonight 
to where the worship was a little bit shorter than he usually takes it. But I feel like there's a lot tonight that I'm going to preach that either you haven't heard or you haven't heard it this way. And I believe it will be something that will have a long-term effect on you. And as I was preparing this word, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this phrase. He said that this would be a cornerstone message. Okay, it would be a cornerstone message. And so tonight, that's what I feel like it's going to be. It's going to be something that's significant. It's something we definitely want to record. But I want you to really give me your best ear. And I'm going to take my time with this because this is something I'm going to cover some things about spiritual warfare. I'm going to cover some things about revival, about warnings connected to revival. And most of all, I'm going to be dealing with the life of the Apostle Paul and about the life of the church of Ephesus. This is going to be different. I promise you there's a lot of things you probably have never heard or thought about. But let me open this with talking a little bit about Leviathan. You can read about Leviathan in Job 41. You can also read about Leviathan in Isaiah 27. So if you're jotting things down, those would be with Job 40, 41, that area, Isaiah 27. And also, Revelation chapter 13 talks about the beast that has seven heads and ten horns. So in the last days, you see this rise, this emerging beast with seven heads and ten horns. And there's no way that you cannot overlook that that has some kind of a connection with Leviathan. In the scriptures, Leviathan is seen as a mythical creature, possibly could be the same spirit as behemoth, they, they might be the same. I'm, I'm really not positive about that because behemoth is to land what Leviathan is to the water. But Leviathan was a mythical creature in the Bible that you could say was like a massive crocodile or a sea monster with multiple heads or can be seen as a dragon of sorts. It's some kind of a reptilian mythical creature but, but it's not really a mythical creature as much as it is a spirit. The spirit of Leviathan is very dangerous and powerful, and it's not something to be joked around about. Whenever you're dealing with Leviathan, you're dealing with a, a very high-ranking spirit. And I'm going to be dealing with a little bit about Leviathan because it's connected to what I'm going to be talking about tonight with revival. There are certain things that... Satan fears the most. And he fears revival. He fears a ministry that's anointed. He fears souls being saved. Those are the type of things he fears the most. And I would add into that ministries that will expose him. Because when he's exposed, he's defeated. There's certain things that Satan's kingdom really fears. When those things begin to happen on the earth, there's also certain weapons that the enemy will form against those moves of God that have been tested and tried through the centuries and have been very effective. One of the weapons that will come against revival is a religious spirit. Another one is a Jezebel spirit. But I want to focus on Leviathan. So you can just picture with me that Satan's kingdom sees the move of God, sees the glory of God, sees, sees revival fire and souls being saved. And it's not something where he's going to pull out something small to attack that but he's going to try to come against that with 
a lot of force and a lot of power. It's like, for example, if you're going to take down a large animal, you're not going to shoot it with a 22. You're going to try to pull out a high-powered rifle. Some of these weapons that the enemy will wield is kind of like a sword that is very old. It's blood-stained. And in the handle, there's grooves where it's been used many times. And it's been effective. And that's kind of just some things I want to come at you with Leviathan because that is like one of those swords that the enemy has pulled out that's been effective through the centuries. So I'm going to get a little deep tonight. Is that okay? So Leviathan, you're dealing with pride. And what's, let me give you an example. Satan at one time was Lucifer and he was in heaven. He was in the glory of God. He was in God's manifest presence, most likely the worship leader, and he walked, in the Bible says, among the fiery stones, he was in God's glory. Even though he was in a glorious atmosphere, he still succumbed to pride, which was his downfall. So follow this line of thinking. Satan saw in his own life how pride took him down and how effective it was in him. Whenever he came against Adam and Eve in the garden, the pride of life, the Bible says the pride of life, Eve saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. It was the pride of life. She saw that she could be like God. And that pride led to her rebellion. <clears throat> Down through the centuries, you can see a pattern of pride that leads to rebellion. It's a pattern. Leviathan operates through the children of pride. I don't want to take the time to read all of Job 40, 41, the first part of Isaiah 27, and all of that. I don't want to take the time with that because i got so much other stuff I want to get to. <clears throat> but when you're dealing with Leviathan, you're dealing with a spirit of Satan's kingdom that is going to be up in the higher echelons that he assigns against move of God, moves of God, and it is something that functions through the pride of man. Now, why is that so dangerous? Because all of us have a sinful nature. You know, if Adam and Eve, who had, they didn't have a sinful nature; they lived in a paradise. If they could be, if they could be deceived or Eve deceived, and they could succumb to sin and they could fall, how much more do we need to depend on the Lord? Now let me say something that when I say this, the temptation in everybody that hears this is going to be a couple things. The temptation is going to be to, to go, yep, that's right, but not think about yourself. That's going to be one temptation. The second temptation is go, yep, that's right, and think of somebody else. But I want you tonight to really think about your own life. Now, Leviathan, I don't want to get bogged down with explaining spiritual warfare too much but Leviathan is a world ruling high ranking powerful thing but there's familiars in people's lives that travel down family lines and I've seen them in people and one of the things that's very generational is this Leviathan spirit it's no joke it's something that operates in the way of pride and it brings a lot of destruction so I want you to think about your life throughout your entire life 
and look at your family, have you seen a pattern where there's been a tendency to be prideful and a result is rebellion? Is your life marked with in the past there being a lot of rebellion? Because usually rebellion comes because of pride. The pride is you don't want to listen to people over you. Let me say that again. The pride is you don't want to listen to somebody that is an authority over you. Pride says, what do you know? I know what's best for me. And they go on their way. Pride results in destruction, falling into sin, and disgrace. That's the result of pride. Do you see in your family, do you see in your life, cycles of destruction, losing things? It could be that Leviathan's been there all along, and maybe you never really discerned it completely. The voice of Leviathan tries to make people feel like that they're listening to God and they're listening to the Holy Spirit, but Leviathan is one of those tricky spirits that tries to impersonate the Holy Spirit. And even though you think you're hearing from God, it's this other thing. Some of the things Leviathan will do, obviously causing people to fall, but Leviathan tries to make God look like a liar. Because where Leviathan is, he will resist, hear me, he will resist, and he has the power to resist. This is not some little stupid looking troll demon that runs around and gets on people's nerves. It's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about something that's, okay, got the power to actually do this, to clog up and block the flow of finance that should be there, to oppress people's health where they already should have had a breakthrough a long time ago. But it's stubborn. And Leviathan will also destroy covenant relationships that God's put together. And that is serious. It will destroy relationships. Now when I'm talking about Leviathan. It could be that there's pride in an individual person. A lot of times it's generational iniquity in somebody. But sometimes it's just the enemy is just coming after you. But the only way you're really truly going to defeat Leviathan is to humble yourself down to the ground and get stuff out of your life that's got to go. I've seen some people that they're prideful and because of that, one of the descriptions of Leviathan is that the scales are so tight together that no wind can get in between them. And I've seen people that they have a hard time feeling God's presence. Everybody around them will be hit by the power and they they barely feel a thing. That, That is a typical manifestation of Leviathan. Leviathan will do his best to counterfeit the gifts of the Spirit and counterfeit revelation. False visions, false dreams, you know, false words of knowledge and things like that because... Leviathan wants to pretend to be the Holy Spirit to stop the true move of God and to bring this counterfeit thing in. But I've seen people that they they seem like they can't get ahead, they can't get a breakthrough, 
And I'm telling you that God had me talk about this for a reason. Because I think Leviathan, I've, I've been in prayer, but I think Leviathan is something that pe- some people still need a full breakthrough. As how many knows you can get some victory, but sometimes it takes some time to really get a complete thorough breakthrough in some things. And I feel like that this ministry is okay to be transparent a little bit. This ministry has faced some major attacks from people that have been used, especially of a Jezebel spirit in the past. But it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. It's like you, you, fought, you wrestled beast in Ephesus and finally got the victory. But we, it's like multiple giants. It's like one giant falls and then there's another one to face. And I feel like that we've, we've faced the Jezebel spirit. And I feel like that we've faced some religious spirits. There's probably still some people to come. We bless them in Jesus' name. But Leviathan, I feel like, still needs to be completely, totally, 100% conquered. The only way to truly, completely defeat Leviathan, let me say it again, is to really sincerely get on your face before God and ask Him just to purge out of you everything that's, that's given a place to that. That's the main way. Because there's, listen, this is important that people understand this. There's probably a lot more pride in all of us than we really even could imagine. Because when you look at the fall of man, the two things that are the most pronounced is pride and rebellion. When you look at Adam and Eve, the two things that are the most pronounced is pride and rebellion. And because of the fall of man and the sinful nature, the tendency in all humanity is to be prideful and rebellious by nature. And so when you come to Christ... God has got to put you through the fire to start getting out of you all of that pride and rebellion. And the more that you go deeper into the fire of God and God keeps burning that out, the the more and more victory you're gaining over things like Leviathan. This is not something that I've dealt with deliverance issues in people where, you know, there's something there and you command it to leave and they're healed, they're set free, all that. That's wonderful and there's definitely a place for that. But I'm not really dealing with that. You're dealing more in the area, there may be something like that with some people, but you're dealing more with the area of territorial, geographical things that are oppressing, coming against a ministry, coming against a people. And the only way you really conquer geographic spirits is by letting the Lord purify you completely. Do you remember when Jesus was going and he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. When the prince of this world showed up, you saw the result of it on the night that he was betrayed because all of a sudden it was like all hell broke loose. He was betrayed. Peter denies the faith. All of the disciples scatter. I mean, literally, it was like all hell broke loose. They couldn't even stay awake to pray because it was so heavy and oppressive. But see, Jesus said the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. And so you've got to let the Lord do something in you to where there's such a purity, such a purifying work, that when these type of things show up, there's nothing in you to exploit. Somebody that has an issue with Leviathan has a hard time listening to other people. Because humility takes advice and takes counsel. Somebody has an issue with Leviathan, God has to speak to them over and over and over and over. And not only does he have to do that, but a lot of times if they won't listen, he'll have to because he loves them. 
He'll have to bring them down to a low point to where there's a brokenness. And in that broken condition, then he can finally get through to those all those scales that are so tightly together. He can finally pierce through all of that and really get to them. That's not God's perfect will. He wants to just be able to whisper to us and that's it. But where Leviathan's involved in people, some people, it's something that they inherited it. If they were born with this, it was something in them from their generations. And I've seen that many times. It's something generational. It's a tendency. Other people just picked it up by being prideful. But this spirit has been behind, I guarantee you, behind almost every single fall. Every single destruction of a Christian ministry in the church. And a minister's life that has probably existed over the last 2,000 years, this spirit was probably involved somewhere. So we're going to pray about it at the end of this. Is that okay? But I'm telling you by the Spirit, as I've been in fasting this week in prayer, that this is something that you guys need. We need to get a total breakthrough that's been coming against the ministry. Okay. All right. Another thing. Ungodly familiarity. Ungodly familiarity breeds dishonor, disrespect, and disloyalty. It's easy to get too familiar. I don't subscribe to this. Okay, I'm telling you that I don't. So don't get out of here and say, well, you know, Pastor Scott thinks this way because I don't. But I've, I've known ministers that have told me. I hate to even go there, but it, it will make the point. But anyway, they've told me. You, you can't get too close to people. I've had people tell me that. In the ministry, in your church, you can't really get close to people. And I know what they're talking about because when, you, when I go through this, you'll see what I mean. And they were saying because of the familiarity of the way people's natural response is. I don't subscribe to that. Me and Sandy are close to everybody. We love everybody. But I've seen it over and over. Where ministers feel like they have to be careful, be really careful. But let me read over this and you'll see why they feel that way. Ungodly familiarity breeds dishonor, disrespect, and disloyalty. You'll see many times ungodly familiarity toward authority. Like with Moses and Korah. I'm going to go quickly, so follow me. Moses and Korah. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You read about them in number 16. They led a rebellion against Moses. They were Korah was a Levite, just like Moses and Aaron were Levites. And Korah basically said, who do you think you are? We're just as much a Levite as you. Who made you a prince and a ruler over us? Who do you think you are? You think you're the only one that can hear from God? And because of his pride, he started rebelling against Moses. And God had to intervene. And God caused the earth to yawn open and suck them right down in it and shut it back over. Look at the response some of these people had toward the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a mighty man of God. I believe that with all my heart. He was, he was an anointed, true apostle of God. But listen to what he had to say to, to the Corinthian church. He said, some of you say, this is what they said. some of them said about Paul. You say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Well, there's nothing disrespectful toward Paul in there, is there? And you think about it, you're going, hello, you wouldn't even be saved 
if he didn't come to you and lead you to the Lord? I mean, how arrogant can you be? But that's that's the, with some of their attitudes. And Paul said such people should realize that what we are in our letters, we, we will also be when we are there with you and present. But ungodly familiarity toward authority. Ungodly familiarity with the anointing. I don't know if you guys ever thought about Judas versus John. This is an interesting study. But you ever wonder why, you remember John, the beloved, was sitting by Jesus? And he said, Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus said, the one who dips his bread with me. Now, have you ever wondered why in the world Jesus, you know, everything Jesus did was for a reason. Why didn't Jesus just go, that guy, and point at him? Why didn't Jesus just lean over and go, it's Judas? Why did he dip, why did he say the one that dips his bread? Now, this time you guys will laugh at this, but it's really, it, there's revelation in it. You know, whenever I go out to eat with people, you know, I may sit here and, and dip my chip. You guys ever eat at Mexican restaurants? I may dip my chip in my wife's queso, all right? But if I'm out to eat, if I'm out to eat with an authority figure, okay, I'm not just going to go dip my chip in his queso. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Now listen, it's funny. But the thing was, I'm bringing this into something that you can relate to. But Judas just casually was dipping his chip in Jesus' queso. <laughs> now, it's funny, okay? But let me tell you, the truth is that Judas had gotten an, un, he had gotten an ungodly familiarity with the Lord. To where he wasn't still showing that honor and respect toward him that he should have. It's easy to start getting around the anointing and around authority. And if you're not careful, it can become an ungodly familiarity to where you're too casual. And you're not recognizing the authority, the anointing, the mantle, and, and, and honoring like you should. Now, Judas, we know he was just a, a petty thief. And we know from the scriptures he carried the money bag and would, would steal from it and stuff like that. Now, John, on the other hand, John, let me just break it down for you. So there were 70. Out of the 70, Jesus called 12 to be with him. Out of the 12, Jesus invested more time with three, Peter, James, and John. And out of the three, John was known as the beloved, the one that was the closest to the Lord. Now, you would think that John would have a tendency toward this ungodly familiarity with the Lord. Of all people, it would, you wouldn't think it would be Judas. But it shows Judas's heart and why Judas was the one that ended up being chosen you know, by the devil to carry out this. Anyway, so John, when you read about John, he lived a long life. He was an old man. He'd been used powerfully by God. You can read about in books in the book of Acts where he went to Samaria with Peter. And Philip had prepared the way. Great revival was there. They prayed for all of them. They were filled with the Spirit. He pastored different churches. And as he got older, he was arrested. And while he was arrested, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos in Greece where he was there as an old man. And while he's there at the, the twilight years of his life, the Lord Jesus appears to him. This is the same Lord that he spent all this time with. Jesus appears to him in a glorified form. So when Jesus appears to him, I mean, his eyes are afire, you know, his voice like many waters, all of that, you read about it in Revelation 117. 
But the Bible says that John, here's was his response. He fell on his face as a dead man, the Bible says, before him. Prostrated himself down. So you can see the difference between Judas and John in their heart. And I believe many times, I heard one time uh, T.D. Jakes talk about this type of thing. But God tests all of us by how we respond to authority, period. It's a test. Many times I'm saying this as the Holy Spirit's telling me to say this. I wasn't going to go here. But I think many times a lot of people go through testings that they don't even realize they're going through. I have a friend of mine that just recently had been going through a betrayal. It has nothing to do with our ministry or anything like that. Okay, He's just a friend that I know. But he was going through a betrayal in the ministry, which is unfortunately common. And he had somebody that he loved that was uh, of the same type of ministry. That was jealous of what's going on in his ministry, so was making phone calls and stabbing him in the back to people. So he calls me for advice and for help and all that. And me and another minister took a bullet for him. How many knows you need to love people enough to take a bullet? Be loyal. So anyway, we did. Me and my friend cleared it up, turned the thing around. But I told him, I said, listen to me. You're being betrayed and lied about. Okay, It's not right. But I said, this is, this is how you better handle it. Everything that we sow, we will reap. Everything that you do, you're going to reap. I said, you better make sure you forgive the person right now. I said, you better make sure that you're praying for that person and blessing them. You better make sure your heart's right. That there's no idols in you about your reputation. Because you know, sometimes the enemies, the reason why people get so mad about somebody running them down is because it's too important to them. You know what I'm saying? Their reputation is their God. Make sure you don't have any idols in your heart. And I said another thing, you better be careful that you don't repay evil for evil. That even though this person is slandering you, that you don't start doing the same thing back at them. Humble yourself to the ground, handle it like Jesus. And you know the Lord turned the entire thing around and made the other... And listen, it was the Lord that did it. The Lord turned that whole thing around and made the other person look stupid. And literally delivered my friend out of that situation. But if, if he would have resorted to backstabbing and trying to play that same game, repaying evil for evil, insult for insult, he would have been just as bad and God would have to judge him both. <coughs> Be careful because many times you don't even realize that the Lord is testing you for promotion. How you respond to authority. Humility. Another ungodly familiarity can be with God's glory. You know, King David was one of, my, one of my spiritual heroes in the Bible. David did for authority what Abraham did for faith. David had great authority at a triple anointing. He was a mighty warrior. I mean, God raised him up as a king. And as a king, he was a great warrior, a great champion. But also, David, 
in many ways was somewhat of a priest. Now I know that he did, he was not a Levite, so it wasn't really a legitimate generational thing. But David and his men ate the consecrated bread, and there wasn't like a lightning bolt that struck him. David wore an ephod sometimes when he would pray. He would go before the ark. I mean, in many ways, he was like a priest, even though he wasn't. He still was to some degree. And David also was somewhat of a prophet. Even though he did not hold the office like Elijah, read the book of Psalms and tell me that he did not prophesy. So David was a picture and type of Jesus who was to come as a king, priest, and a prophet. And all that, and he had a triple anointing on his life. But David, even though he ministered before the Lord, one of the mistakes he made in his life was maybe he got a little too familiar with the glory. Because if you read the story in 2 Samuel 6, the ark of God was in Kiriath-Jerim and David wanted to bring it to Jerusalem, which was a wonderful thing to desire. He loved God's presence. He wanted to be able to go pray before the ark. Okay. But instead of going about it the right way, David probably thought back to how God had always been with him in such a powerful way. I mean, David really had a heart of a shepherd. Because if you look at his life, there's not a lot of shepherds that would take on by themselves out in the field. Okay, This was before cell phones. It wasn't like I'm going to text 10 people to come help. He took on a bear by himself. To protect the sheep. There's a lot of shepherds that would think the bears here, you know, one sheep is not that big a deal. You know, just we'll count our losses, okay? But he, he had a heart of a shepherd to protect the sheep. And he took on a bear, he took on a lion. And then it seemed to carry over later when God's sheep were in trouble, the nation of Israel. And he came in and he looked at Goliath, who was like a bear coming after God's sheep. And he said, God was with me with the lion and the bear and I'll take care of this too. So he really had the heart of a shepherd and the true heart of a shepherd has a lot to do with protecting the sheep. But unfortunately, sometimes that means you have to protect them from wolves in sheep's clothing, which are people that are not of God. And that's not fun, but it's necessary. But David wanted to bring the ark in and he had remembered, you know, we ate the consecrated bread. I've wore the ephod and prayed. God's always been with me. He gave me Goliath. And I think that David kind of got a little casual about bringing in the ark. You see, under the law, the ark was only allowed to go from one place to the next on the shoulders of Levites. That's it. David throws it on to a wooden cart hauled by ox. That was not the way. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. Okay, That wasn't the prescribed way. David was kind of casual about the glory. Now God loved David and loved his heart. And God wasn't about to just go smite David just because... You know, David's heart was, I want God's presence and glory here. I mean, God knows his heart. But nonetheless, because he wasn't doing it right, when the ox cart stumbled and, and a man by the name of Uzzah was there and tried to 
it was falling. The ark was coming this way and Uzzah was trying to protect it from hitting the ground and touched it. He was struck dead immediately. And the Bible says that David was, he was kind of hurt with God that Uzzah died, but he also was scared. And he kind of realized how serious this business of messing with the glory really truly was. Because you can get an ungodly familiarity with God's glory that can cause a lot of problems. Because God's glory is a very serious matter. I don't know if you remember the, the story about the Philistines that took the ark under um, Eli's rule as priest and all of them were infected with tumors, probably cancer, and it broke out like a plague until they gave the ark back. See, the same glory that will work with you if you're not right, if you're in sin and all that and you're not right, that same glory will work against you. And David saw how he was a little casual with the ark. And so he was afraid of God that day and he takes the ark and he puts it in the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom who was a Hittite, wasn't even an Israeli person. But because the ark was there, this is a great revelation for some of you, because the ark was there and God's glory was there, Obed-Edom's house began to prosper. You know why some people, their life and their house is maybe not prospering the way they want it to? Is the glory there. Because where the glory is, there's prosperity. And so David heard about Obed-Edom's house and he became jealous. And so this time when he went, he was more careful in bringing the glory in. Don't allow yourself, this is a warning about revival. Right in the midst of revival, the devil will start attacking the move of God. He's looking for a weak place in, and he wants to. One of the greatest attacks he wants to do is to start messing with people in the area of pride because he knows that our human nature, the sinful nature, has a tendency toward it. And it's an effective weapon. And when it gets in, Leviathan starts moving in. And people can begin to have an ungodly familiarity toward authority, toward the anointing, and toward the glory. I don't want to get too comfortable with the glory to where you take it lightly. I don't want to do that. Do you guys realize that how much of an honor it is for God's presence to be in a place? Do you realize that God does not have to release His presence at all? And another thing that can be an ungodly familiarity is with revival. I don't know about you, but I cherish the move of God. I really do. I cherish the anointing. I cherish the move of the Spirit of God in church services. I am so thankful for the glory. It means a lot to me. It means enough to me to be very careful and selective of what's in my life because I don't want the glory to lift. But see, Ephesus is an interesting study in and of itself. If you guys, I know many of you, you have your own personal study. I encourage you, if you can, over this next week to read the book of Ephesians and maybe go over some of these scriptures because I'm going to paint a picture for you about Ephesus that I promise you, you probably never even thought of. 
See, Paul had three major missionary journeys in his life. The first journey was short. He never made it to Ephesus. The second journey, he goes, the last place he was was Ephesus, but nothing significant happened. The people in Ephesus said, why don't you stay with us? He said, well, I'll come back another time. But nothing significant at all. On his third missionary journey, this was his second time to go to Ephesus, revival breaks out. I mean a massive revival. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. So the, the church in Ephesus was birthed in the fires of revival. These people in Ephesus, it was normal. It would have been commonplace to see healings and miracles. It was common to see demons come out of people. It was common to see the move of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit in operation. That was what they were born into. Some of you can relate. But here's where I'm going with this. When the Lord came to John on the Isle of Patmos and gave him the book of Revelation, he told him, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches. The first letter was to go to Ephesus. And a lot of people don't know this, but the seven churches listed in Revelation 2 and 3 it is a breakdown of the timeline of, of the last 2,000 years. The Laodicean church is the final church the, church, the last day church. But I want to show you something. The first church was Ephesus. And it symbolically spoke of the early church of that time. Ephesus means let go or relax. It speaks of the time period of AD 33 to AD 100 as the body of Christ began to lose the fires of revival and turn to rituals which ultimately led into the dark ages. There was a reason why Ephesus was the first church written to because symbolically speaking it spoke of the early church and it spoke of the early church losing revival. The very thing they were born into. Something you've got to understand about Ephesus it was pastored by the Apostle Paul. It was later pastored by Apollos, then Timothy, and it was also pastored by John. You know that the church had to be a powerful church. So what was some of the things the Lord spoke to as a warning to that church? He revealed himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and walks among the seven lampstands. The seven stars speak of the pastors of the churches. The seven lampstands speak of the churches. But here's some things that are warnings about revival. It's war See, this is kind of getting deep tonight. Is this okay? Because we're talking about the, the Ephesian church, but we're talking about how it was born. We're talking about the warnings that came to it. Why did they lose the fire? What happened? They had powerful men of God pastoring the church. You know that the church had to be a place of prayer. 
You know that it was a soul winning church. You know that it was born in the fires of revival. So you and I are familiar with what that looks like. One of the things the Lord warned them was to not lose their first love. A lot of people don't look up the Greek. What it, what it translates is supreme love feast. And it speaks of co- taking communions. And I'm going to tell you, one of the powerful things in the scriptures, I don't have time to teach on the Lord's Supper, but it has awesome power. I've seen too many full gospel churches, they claim to be full gospel, that are dead. There's nothing more dead than a dead Pentecostal church. It's almost like the saying, twice dead. Being uprooted. Because once they knew the glory, and now the glory is not there, there's just something about that. And the warning was, don't neglect your first love, or I will have to remove your lampstand. The lampstand in the tabernacle spoke of revelation. And it spoke of fire. It spoke of the Holy Spirit's anointing is what it spoke of. Because the lampstand had that oil flowing through it. It had a fresh fire on it. And it had to do with being able to see revelation. And the Lord was warning them, if you get away from your first love, if you start getting away from the Lord's Supper, you're going to start losing revelation. the, The anointing on your life is going to begin to diminish. And ultimately, you're going to lose your lampstand which was some kind of a spiritual status as a church. Everybody say this is deep. Another thing the Lord warned them about, but yet He commended them. He said, you do have this against you, that you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans or the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Nicholas was one of the original seven deacons, but he began to bring heresy to the body of Christ by teaching this ridiculous teaching. He taught that since your spirit man, your inner man is made holy, that you could sin with your body and it wouldn't have an effect on you. Where in the world he got that, I don't know. But let me say this. Jesus commended them for not putting up with it. Let me tell you about revival and tell you about the anointing. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. Where the Holy Spirit is present, he doesn't let you get away with stuff. I've seen churches, listen, I say this with love, but I've seen ministries where there's not a move of the Spirit at all. And I have been shocked, and other people around me have been shocked at how carnal and worldly some of them act. They talk like the world, and they're, they're just like the world. You know why? Because the lack of the anointing and the fire of the Holy Spirit to convict them. How in the world can they get away with using some of the language they use? Live in some of the ways they live? Because they don't have the anointing and the fire of the Holy Spirit to deal with in their life like they should. But see, what the Lord was saying about hating the practices of the Nicolaitans and the teaching is that He was saying that the Lord was saying He hated it because it was leading people into sin. A revival church will not lead people into sin, but rather the anointing and the glory will be so strong that it will be literally pulling the sin out of people and sanctifying and doing a sanctifying work in people. And then the Jesus said, those that overcome will eat from the tree of life. That has to do with God's presence. And I believe that when you take the Lord's Supper, people that, you've got to do things with faith, but when you take the Lord's Supper with faith and you really realize what it is, to a degree it is like a tree of life. There's many people that are healed taking it. 
etc. I'm not going to get into it too much tonight, but it's a powerful thing. There's a regional timetable. You know, the Apostle Paul, the first time he went to Ephesus, nothing seemed to happen. But the third missionary journey, it was the second time there, revival broke out. You know, sometimes it's God's timing. It's God's timing about a supernatural harvest. Peter and the disciples fished all night long. Caught nothing. They were frustrated. Jesus appears to them. Cast your net on the other side. How ridiculous that would seem. But yet it brought in a supernatural harvest. It's like the Apostle Paul. He probably wasn't even expecting the level of the move of the Spirit that was about to break out. He had already been to Ephesus. But this time was different. Even on approaching Ephesus, he met disciples of John the Baptist. See, some people lay a foundation. Do you remember Jesus went to the, to the Samaritan woman at the well and she went back and told him, listen to a man that told me everything about me. You know, And she was preaching Jesus. It laid a foundation. Later, Philip the evangelist went there and revival broke out. The whole area was shaken with revival. They were amazed. They saw miracles. They saw demons coming out of people. And the whole area accepted Christ. I mean, even Simon the sorcerer. But Jesus went first and it prepared the way for Philip. Then Philip prepared the way for John and Peter that came and laid hands on their baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he, anyway, John the Baptist had prepared something already because his... his Paul was entering the city. He ran into some of John's disciples and said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, No, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, John told you to believe on the one who is to come after him. That is on Jesus. And it says on hearing this, they believed in Jesus. They were baptized into Jesus. They, in other words, they were born again. Then Paul laid hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. And that was the beginning. Right as Paul walked into Ephesus, revival was already breaking out. As he was entering the city. You read about. He was probably there. Commentators believe three years. But you read about a two year time period in the Bible. Where he was teaching from this hall of, of Tyrannius. And he was preaching there. The whole area heard the word of the Lord. And was shaken by the power of God. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. And he said this. He said that there's an effective door that's open unto me in Ephesus. And there are many that oppose me. Now hear me. When great revival starts breaking out, there's great opposition that goes with it. The last couple things I want to talk about, we'll pray about Leviathan. The book of Ephesians. If people understood when you read the book of Ephesians that you were reading a letter to the apostle that saw a major revival in that area. That you're reading a letter that was written to a church that was born in the fires of revival. If you were in Paul's shoes, what would you tell a church that was born in the fires of revival? What would you write to them? What would you say to them? 
And let me give you a quick breakdown on some things Paul covered in chapter 1. He wanted them to understand what, they, what Christ did for them. It's so important that you understand the power of the cross and what Jesus did for you. And really get a revelation about it. He talked about how they were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. And understanding that we don't deserve it. Humility, right off the bat. Paul didn't want this church born in the fires of revival to deal with pride. He wanted them to remain humble and give the Lord all the glory. A very powerful prayer. There's not a lot of New Testament prayers that are written. But I've kind of memorized these prayers and I prayed them daily for myself and for the church. But you ought to read over this. How he talks about praying that the spirit of wisdom and of revelation into the knowledge of God rest on somebody. How he prayed the eyes of people's hearts be enlightened that they'll know the hope to their calling and the riches of their inheritance. And they'll be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner man. These are powerful prayers. Then in chapter 2, he wanted them to understand their awesome authority in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6, he reveals that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Do you understand that when you're dealing with the first, second, and third heaven, I mean the second heaven has to do with principalities and powers, but Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, above all principalities and powers. So when you understand this revelation that you're seated with Him, and you understand that you have authority over all of it, He wanted them to understand the foundational doctrine that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. But you've got to understand when He said you're saved, the word saved is sozoed. And it means to be healed, delivered, set free, preserved, made to do well, prosper. It means all of that. Everything Jesus paid for on the cross, He said you can have that by faith. But it comes because of God's grace. Meaning, God's grace means you don't earn it. What it means is it's freely given to you. But it's freely given grace. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. It's freely given to who? The humble. You know, as I go out and, and I witness to people, the one thing that marks, let me word it this way, I don't understand why people have such a problem with understanding that they're a sinner. Because I have no problem with that. That I've, I've been a total sinner in my life. I needed a Savior. You know, that doesn't offend me or bother me. Why would it offend somebody that they have sinned and they're a sinner? Why? Because it hurts their pride. The prideful person, unless they humble themselves, will probably never be saved. A prideful person has a hard time acknowledging that they even need help. They won't even acknowledge that they're a sinner. They certainly won't acknowledge that Christ is their salvation. That's why you read about that beast with seven heads and ten horns arising to power in these last days because it has a lot to do with the pride of humanity. He goes on to talk about how you're built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In chapter 3, he wanted them to understand again what they have in Christ, but he gave them this powerful prayer. 
He said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power, with power through his spirit in your inner man, so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, and that through him, being rooted and established, grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the depth, I'm sorry, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Be filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God. So these are powerful prayers that the Apostle Paul wanted. He really earnestly prayed for them. Chapter 4, he wanted them to understand the fivefold ministry. He reveals and teaches about apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And with that revelation of the fivefold ministry, he wanted them to understand that it's through the fivefold ministry that they're brought to unity in the faith. And reach matured. He wanted them to live a righteous life. In the latter, in chapter four and five, he encouraged them to be imitators of God, to live righteously, live holy before God. In chapter five, he dealt with the family structure about the husband being the head of the home and leading in his family in the ways of God and loving his wife. He dealt with the wife being submissive, which means be obedient to her husband. And to respect him. To show respect. And then it talked about children honoring and obeying their parents. That's huge. Because a church that's born in the fires of revival, Satan's going to attack that church. And the enemy knows that if he can get in through the family structure, that's a huge door. And Paul was trying to warn them, if you'll keep your home in order, it'll keep the devil out. You hear me? In the last chapter, what would be the last thing you would tell a church? That you felt like you were like their spiritual father. That you gave birth to this church. It was born in the fires of revival. Then you had to go and be somewhere else. You couldn't really be there you know, physically. And you were writing them a letter. What would be the last thing you would write them? The Apostle Paul wrote them. and He wanted them to understand about spiritual warfare. He wanted them to understand that they're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But against principalities, powers, and wickedness in the heavenlies. He wanted to make sure that they understood the armor of God to put it on every day and to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. He understood that they would have some serious spiritual battles as a church. When you look at Paul's life, and this is how it closed, Antioch was his home church covering. We all need a church covering. Some people, I believe it's because of pride. They, they feel like they, they're too prideful to, to come under authority. They're too prideful to, to come under like a pastor or come under a church covering. But they're basically saying that they're more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. Everybody needs a church covering. Antioch was Paul's church covering. Paul had a spiritual son by the name of Timothy. Ephesus was probably the most significant move of God in his ministry. But I want you to notice something about Paul. This is what I close with. The Apostle Paul was facing, everywhere he went, Satan was stirring up riots. People wanted to kill him. You know, they stoned him. He was shipwrecked. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. And the Apostle Paul said, you know what? He said, there's a thorn in my flesh. And he goes on to describe what this, this thorn was. It was a fallen angel that was following him around, stirring up all this stuff against him. Now, 
In the Bible, thorns many times speak of people that are a thorn to you. And so this fallen angel was stirring up people. Would stir up some of the Jewish people that hated the gospel of Jesus Christ and were persecuting Paul. They would stir up some of the heathen idol worshipers. But this fallen angel would stir up this great opposition. And Paul was crying out to God, asking him to take this thing away. Remove this fallen angel. Bind him. Get this thing broken. And and what did God say to Paul? He said, in your weakness, okay, I'm being perfected in you through your weakness. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. All right. So what is God's grace? The grace of God that comes on you. And in Western culture, the teaching about God's grace is is so extremely perverted. Basically, what they teach is that you can live in sin and go to heaven. That's their grace. I'm not even going to go there. When the grace of God comes on somebody's life, it empowers them to be able to live a righteous life. Okay. When the grace of God is on somebody's life, it's favor, it's empowering, it gives them victory. God was saying that through all of this testing and trial that you're going through, my grace and my hand will be on you to help you go through it. Paul wanted him to take it away, but God was doing a work in Paul. Now, when you read about the Apostle Paul, early on in his ministry, he made statements like this. He said, I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Then you read about him saying things like, I am the least of the apostles. Then you read about him saying, I am the least of all God's people. And ultimately, I believe it was 2 Timothy. He said, I am the worst of sinners. You see a progression in Paul's life of him growing in humility. The latter end of his life he had rest. Do you see what I'm saying? God was doing a work in Paul. A lot of people don't even understand the book of Job. It is so much deeper than somebody that went through a trial. Okay, But Job was a very wealthy and powerful man in his time. And because of that, he obviously had some a little bit of pride issues in his life. And God allowed him to go through trials to bring him to a place of humility. That's why in the book of Job, you read more about Leviathan than you do anywhere else in the entire Bible. But after that was broken in Job, God blessed the latter part of his life double. Some of God's greatest champions and greatest warriors have ever been have been faced with this pride within themselves and this attack of this Leviathan. I believe every single person has a battle within themselves to truly be crucified with Christ that it's not you who live anymore but Christ living through you. 
And there's got to be a total death to self. And this death to self has a lot to do with pride and ego and all of that being gone. There's some people, they need to stop and realize that maybe they've had an issue with this their whole life. And they need to stop and think, why do I even think the way that I do? Really, really take into account, why do you feel the way you do? Why do certain things get on your nerves? And really let the Lord show you that maybe even some of the thought processes that you've had your whole life is rooted in pride. Some of the very things that you learned from your family or you grew up in somehow was rooted in pride. Some of your belief systems rooted in pride. Your response, your emotional response. Many times people get angry because it's not that they're hurt. It's not that they're like deeply wounded, but it's that their egos hurt. And there's a big difference. Because the Lord doesn't care nothing about your ego getting hurt. Okay, he, don't, he doesn't want you to be hurt, but He doesn't give a rip about your ego getting hurt at all. Because He knows that all that will do is just bring you down to where you need to be. And how many times have, have people out there, somebody that loved them tried to correct them or tried to help them, and said, I see something, and because of their pride, they couldn't receive that, and they would even get angry. A humble person is very teachable and very childlike. That's the thing that marks children. You can take a little child, you can tell them all kinds of things. Hey, you're a handsome little guy, you can tell them all this stuff. And they never really get a big ego about it because they're just like, okay, whatever you say, it's just... But see, you take an adult and you try to... Sometimes they can really get them puffed up with pride, you know. A child, that's one of the reasons why Jesus said the least among you will be the greatest. The one that's first in life many times when they get to heaven will be last. The one that's last will be first. A lot of people don't understand when you get to heaven how it's really going to look. I think that all of us will be surprised. Lyndall Cooley said that 30 minute pause of silence in heaven. He said that's all the religious Pharisees realizing. That there is this radical worship and Pentecost and stuff going on in heaven if you will. You know, He's just kidding. But a childlike person is very humble, can be corrected, very teachable. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be like a child. I've seen people over the years that, well, there's just one story. There was a family, true story, a family that uh, their daughter was kind of dressing provocative and not carrying herself with wisdom. And the pastor's wife of this church just tried to tell the mom, in a, in a real loving way, just tried to tell her, say, I'm kind of concerned about the, the direction or the path that I see your daughter going on. And the, the mother got angry and said, who do you think you are? To tell us how to raise our kids. You just need to mind your own business. So the pastor's wife is like, all right. That daughter ended up going from one sexual partner to the next and died very young. Now, the Bible says if you honor your father and mother, you have long life. That has to do with humility and it has to do with submission to authority and all of that. 
But a prideful, rebellious person, usually their life is cut short for one reason or another. How many ministries they didn't want to listen and their ministry was cut short their ministry was destroyed their ministry died spiritually speaking okay their ministry was killed by the enemy because of pride they wouldn't listen people tried to warn them tried to talk to them is one of those nights. I mean, there's only been a few of these here that I, I can remember, but there's been a few where God wanted to see how people was going to respond. I remember a few of these over the years where, you know, it was just like this. It was just God's going to watch and see how people respond. And that's what he did. It wasn't going through laying hands on everybody and all this wonderful stuff, and but it was the Lord sitting back. The word comes forth. He wants to see how people respond. And not just today, but how they're going to respond. In life. But I say this as a warning. Leviathan is there. In the shadows. And some of you have been born in the fires of revival. Your DNA is revival. And God's wanting to use you. But Leviathan is wanting to. One way or another. Take people out. He's wanting to take people out. Either by. Pulling them into sin. You see, a humble person, God's grace is on you to overcome sin. But pride comes before a fall. See, you may think, and I used to think, you may think, oh, well, you know, I'll just live holy today. Oh, that it was that easy. Wouldn't you like it if it was? But see, you don't realize, and I'm not even sure that I I realize fully how dependent we really are. You think that you can just overcome sin by yourself? I don't know who told you that. But I'm telling you, you can't do it by yourself. But if you'll humble yourself, the Holy Spirit will release grace in you and He'll help you. You see, a prideful person, it says in the book of Proverbs, that they go into destruction and they fall. Why you see sometimes ministries that crash and burn, they fall. But this Leviathan thing, it's in the shadows, it's there. It's wanting to play on some people's pride. I was reading this book by Lyndall Cooley called Touched by Glory, it's awesome. And he was talking about in it how many times people don't realize how prideful they are. And he was saying that in your present circumstances, if you're not happy, you're not joyful, but it's like a grumbling in the heart. Many times God is actually not going to move you until you get that dealt with because that's pride in you. A prideful person has a very hard time being happy and content in life. And Leviathan is either wanting to pull people into sin, Leviathan is wanting to come in and bring destruction, or Leviathan may be trying to come in and pretend to be the Holy Spirit and pull people right out of the will of God and out of their destiny, and God will have to replace them with somebody else. I don't want the Lord to have to do that. 
I don't want Leviathan to creep in and me to be flung out of the way and God have to use somebody else instead of being able to use me. But let me tell you, He can do it. The Lord, I know sometimes people think highly of themselves. But let me tell you this, the Lord is so powerful. He can save somebody tomorrow and use them in three days to do what you're called to do if He wants to. He can raise them up in just a few days and use them to do what you're called to do. So don't ever think that you're indispensable. Everybody say medicine. This is medicine tonight. We've been praying and fasting this week. And I believe that you're on the brink of some breakthroughs. The, the whole ministry is. There's some winds of change that are blowing. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of things start in obscurity and all of that. That's read church history. Most things start like this. But God is testing and trying people and wanting to see people's hearts. Is it a true heart of repentance? What concerns me is, I've seen some people over the years, if this applies to you, I want you just to take this with love as a pastor, but I've seen some people over the years that it took God either speaking to them directly or speaking through somebody to them. They had to go, God had to say it over and over and over for years before they finally repented. And that is a sign of pride and Leviathan. God shouldn't have to keep on and on writing any of us. But as this is broken, as we pray tonight, as people pray, and this is a totally different night. I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting, you know, just another blowout service like we 99% of the time have. But I felt like tonight the Lord is judging people's hearts. Anyway, I want, I want everybody just to pray this with me and then we're going to do something different. But just everybody out loud, if, if you really want to be free, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. You, see everything. you see everything. So first off, I humble myself and I'm asking you to search me. I ask you for the grace to stay in the center of your will for my life. You see Leviathan lurking in the shadows and you see things in me that need to change. Whether it's my own issues. Whether it's generational. I humble myself. And I'm asking you tonight. That you would cause these things. To come to the forefront. And to be seen. By me. So that I can deal with them. Don't let them remain hidden in my life. But cause it to be seen 
so I can deal with it. Put your hand on my life. Shut every door that's not of you. And seal it. And put your angels there. To keep me from wrong decisions. Finish this work. That you've begun in me. Even tonight. I ask you for a shift. In my life. Give me a new heart. A new way of thinking. Do such a deep work. That Leviathan. Has nothing in me. To exploit. In Jesus' name I pray. Here's what I want to do. And I, I want everybody to look look at me. Give me real focused attention. This is how I'm going to close this. This is totally different than normal. But I believe with all my heart that God does not waste His anointing. I believe he does, He's not into wasting His time. God's no fool. He knows exactly what He's doing. And He has poured out His Spirit in an awesome way in our lives. He has a plan. But there were people throughout history that missed God. There was a church that should have hosted the Azusa Street Revival. It would have been called a totally different revival. But they missed God. And God had to use somebody completely different. And I don't want to be the one that missed God. And I know you don't either. Do you want to be the one that God says, I really, they were my first choice. I really wanted to use them, but I couldn't. And he has to use somebody else. Does anybody here want that? I don't want that. And what I want to do is I want to take a little time. And I want to encourage you that it's early. We're just going to put on some worship. I want you to find a place anywhere where you can pray. Where you can really get alone with God and get serious about it. And really pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you things in your life you need to repent of. And this is how you pray. When God shows you stuff, and some of it may be general, your, your general attitude about things, the way you respond to things, a lot of the anger, a lot of the discontentment and the grumbling and complaining of the heart, a, a lot of things where people irritate you, a lot of all that's rooted back in pride. So there may be a certain way of your life that, that things have been going a certain way all your life. You've, you've never known different. And God all of a sudden is showing you, hey, that, that's rooted in pride. That's a door for Leviathan. And so here's what you do. You say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me in your blood. And let your Holy Spirit burn it out of me right now. I surrender. Just burn it out of me like a fire. Just get it out of me. I'll be a different person. Once the Holy Spirit comes in and He burns all that junk out of you, you're going to be different. You're going to, you're going to respond different. You'll find yourself where you used to be more irritable, more peaceful. You'll find yourself where things used to really just rub you the wrong way. Certain people got on your nerves and all of a sudden they don't. It's just a, it's in you. It's just something in you that God does. It's His grace. But if we humble ourselves down to the ground, God will do it. And I really feel like that God is weighing things in the balance right now. About what He's wanting to do in the near future. 
Because I've been seeking God earnestly about the future. And I have had a lot of revelation and prophecies up to this point in my life. But up to this point in my life, I, do, I have not had a lot of clarity because I believe that God is wanting to write out the future based on our current response to Him. Does that make sense? And sometimes, how do you know and how do I know? That may be. Our destiny is being altered because there's been other people that the enemy took them down and God is taking our life and turning this ship just a little bit to, to help pick up where that was lost. How do you know? How do you know that maybe there's not an extra mantle that's going to fall on us? How do you know there's not an anointing that's going to come? Maybe the enemy took somebody down, took somebody out somehow. May not have even been their fault, but the Lord is wanting to rewrite, so to speak, some things, some destiny things in our lives. But he's testing us to see can they handle it. I'm looking for somebody that I can use. I'm really wanting to find somebody. And if you've been somebody that's kind of hated your, your, your life in a, in a way, you've been unhappy, that's a strong sign that Leviathan's at work. You just haven't been happy. Why is my life like this? Why, why am I not? Let me tell you, when the Lord gets all that out of you, and it needs to go, don't be surprised if all of a sudden there's a greater joy and a satisfaction of fulfillment like you've never known. So Lord, as I put on worship, we're going to shut down recordings. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest of this work tonight. But Lord, I'm asking you that by your Spirit, you would really bring things up and, and challenge people and let it be dealt with tonight. That what the Bible talks about, about these coals from the altar, it's like the, this coal was touched to Isaiah's lips and it sanctified his tongue. It sanctified the words of his mouth. Lord, that these coals from heaven would be applied to people's lives that will sanctify even tonight in this place that will sanctify out of them things that need to go so that we can go to a whole new place, a whole new level. I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name.